Welcome to the Laird Connectivity Corner Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about IIoT, or the Industrial Internet of Things. Today we have Matt Lubeli. Hello. Paul Elvickis. Hey, everyone. Uh, Ian Tracy. And hello. And Jennifer Gibbs. Hello, everybody. Uh, the first question to go out there, what is IIoT? And how is it different than just regular old IoT? Well, there goes the rest of the podcast. Um, This is something we struggle with all the time. Um, So IIoT is the I means industrial. But then you get into the question, well, what does industrial mean? Um, You know, for us, I think that means anything from stuff we've done that's, say, connected toilets up through connected oil and gas fields and everything in between. I think there's also a whole segment of the market that thinks very specifically about IIoT, that it has to be in factories and it's about gathering data. But yeah, I mean, that's one of the big challenges is it means a lot. Ian, I'm curious your thoughts there. I guess here may be a good question. Maybe what is industrial IoT not? What is it not? Yeah, that might be the easiest way to define it is what is it not? It's IoT uh, based around the industrial market segment. I know boring answer, but it's, you know, it's not medical. It's not user facing applications. It's maybe not the hue light bulbs in your house, but anything where there's a company trying to make a product or maybe anything that isn't consumer facing isn't in a defined market segment like medical or transportation gets locked into this industrial iot market to me it seems as if these the companies and the way that people are marketing industrial iot is really on the i'll call it quote unquote the heavy industrial or what paul kind of alluded to which is you know you're thinking maybe heavy machinery uh, factory floor almost process engineering some some of those types of markets to me is it seems as if that's the way that uh, some folks are trying to shape uh, iiot and i think that uh, it does mean something different uh, to every party what are the like what are the challenges that would be different between you know iot and and then just a regular you know i've got a connected speaker in my house kind of thing but i think if you take it further from where we, what what I had just mentioned, really from a heavy industrial or even just take the factory floor, right? You've got a lot of different protocols to always deal with when you're talking about things in factory automation. And, and, and those are some of the, you know, the different pieces I think that have to be factored in as you start to kind of talk about how you, the challenges and then, and then how you, you know, separate those things out. Yeah. I think one of the big areas of, difference is that you think about a connected solution or an IoT product or something that's commercial or consumer facing, you get always the examples, it's a connected toothbrush or toaster or something. For those products, it doesn't really matter if the connection part or all the cool stuff you're trying to do from a connected product with sending data to the cloud, if that stuff doesn't work or falls apart or whatever, it usually doesn't matter that much, right? You've upset somebody a little bit, but life goes on. I think one of the critical pieces on the industrial side is that can't happen, right? So if you're gonna connect a product up, 
it has to work reliably. It has to uh, work at scale. And really the whole point of connecting it usually is to prevent that thing from going down in the first place. So it's not always that there's a big difference between the two in terms of what you're trying to do. It's always a product talking to the internet, sharing data, you're building some service around that. But a lot of it's around the layers of reliability that you need to have to make it successful. Okay. So it sounds like a lot of planning has to go into compared to, you know, what what kind of goes on with, with an IoT. Is that fair to say or, or are they equal or, or what kind of planning should I, you know, if I'm, I want to set up my widget to, you know, connect to IoT, uh, what kind of stuff do I need to do? Well, one thing that's important to realize about the industrial segment is they've been doing big data applications for decades, connecting hundreds of thousands of devices and pulling in sensors from multiple locations and aggregating all that data. That's something they've always been doing, but a lot of it remained on premise. They didn't have issues with scale. They, they approximately knew and could plan um, exactly what their data needs were. And so they handled that all on their own infrastructure. And they really just air gapped their systems, you know, and this is speaking broadly about an entire market segment. Of course, there's exceptions, but a lot of what they've done, it, it was all air gapped. It was all on premise and they did big, big data applications for, for, for many years. So this is the whole move to everything being digitized. They're of course getting swept up in it like all the other market segments, but it's, it's very much something that they have been doing, but it's an evolution for them as a market segment is okay. This is the next level of getting even more data points, even more metadata about existing control systems and, and, the insights that can be derived from that. What I've seen a lot of is systems or companies that, like you said, have an existing solution in place, but they're moving to wireless, they're moving to the cloud, they're moving to data analytics, and and this is just kind of their path forward. Yeah, Yeah. it's a really good point, Jennifer. I mean, when you think about the planning piece around that, that is often where it all gets caught up, right? It's if you're building some new product from scratch and it's consumer facing, it's meant to be the new thing. Of course there's planning, but it's a lot harder when you have to include and drag along all of these legacy systems and legacy processes and devices and stuff like that. And I think that is where a lot of the planning comes into is how do you capture all these edge cases and ways that your business operates today and actually have something that when you connect something to the internet, you get value out of it. In talking about connecting things to the internet, and we all know IoT is a big cloud-based implementation. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the ways, you know, the cloud services out there and, and kind of the things that they can do with that? Yeah, I mean, um, Ian talked a little bit earlier about the fact that a lot of these manufacturers have a lot of data, but it was on-premise, is air-gapped. When you move all that to the cloud, you're basically talking about a brand new set of technologies and ways to do things, right? So why do you want to move data to the cloud versus on-prem? It's usually because you're trying to apply something like machine learning, which takes a bunch of compute power and you're not really going to roll in a bunch of server racks into your factory necessarily. You want to rely on these cloud guys to do some of that. but 
with those new tools are a lot of new challenges, right? So the cloud vendors are phenomenal at offering new tools and tools that scale and can do amazing things with data, but it's not always straightforward to use. That is its own niche set of capabilities that a lot of companies who are trying to enter the space for the first time don't have or don't know about. So they have to go hire someone, go figure something out. So, you know, when you look at the different cloud vendors out there, a lot of them, when, you, when you're trying to drive towards a decision on which cloud vendor to use, most of the time it comes down to how much of this cloud solution do you want to own yourself and really build and design and maintain versus how much are you willing to pay to have somebody else do that stuff. And, and where you settle on that varies a lot of times for different companies based on what you have, right? So you look at AWS and Azure, those are what I would consider technology building blocks. You could absolutely spin up some amazing things as many companies do, but it takes a lot of time and energy and work and that has to become a core competency of your business. Or you could go with a lot of these kind of off the shelf guys where it's ready to go, it's packaged up for you, it works perfectly out of the box, but then you may struggle to customize or make tweaks or do things the way you want to do things. I've been reading a lot that a lot of this is ends up being driven more by, I think maybe their existing IT system within the company. I think a lot of it has to do with the core competencies of the organization and, and really foundationally what the strategy is, right, from a cloud perspective. If you have a deep, like you said, Jennifer, I think, or you were alluding to, if you have a deep bench as it relates to your IT staff, they're pretty heavily already working. Maybe some of the, you know, I'll say, business-related applications, and they're already putting stuff on AWS, and they want to go into IoT with a legacy device, that maybe that the IT department could drive to some degree. But I think what you find out there really in, in the world is that you have a lot of people that understand end devices, sensors. You have a lot of people that understand the cloud piece. And they're both converging in the middle and everybody's trying to meet at the gateway. And so, you know, when you're going through and talking with different organizations, they're gonna have a lot of different bench strengths. And I think uh, finding out what those are as a key strategy and defining what those gaps are to be able to go architect something is extremely important. And, and I think that we see a whole host of customers that have you know, strengths in certain areas, but not necessarily ones that have across the board. And if they do have them across the board, they're already, you know, very, very far along. Matt, it, it sounds like you're you're almost saying that this is more more of like a system architecture level type engagement when you when you when you're dealing with IoT than just you know going out and buying sensors and gateways and and throwing them all together. That it it takes a a long thought out process to make that all work. Yeah. 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 Well, you're, you're starting to, you're starting to bring together different aspects of the organization that maybe traditionally you wouldn't have. And in Ian, maybe you can dive in a little bit on this, on the system level and the solutions piece, since you've got some, some nice history on that front. But um, just to talk about that, that architecture and how, you know, you go through and define, you know, what customers have in terms of capabilities, what they don't have and, and things of that nature. Yeah, so in the industrial space, it's very common to have separate teams. There'll be an, an IT team and there'll be an operational technology and OT team. And sometimes they don't exactly play by the same rules or don't integrate well, but we're seeing a lot of convergence in goals. And so it can be even more complex than just 
getting approval from the IT team about certain connected devices and where that data is going to end up, you also have to get up on board with the OT team and can be quite complex because they're separate stakeholders, each with their own agenda. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, it, you know, from, from my view, it seems as if everything always meets kind of at the gateway, right, as you look at these teams, right? And and that's the part where, you know, I think the IT side of the world has a, a view of what a gateway is. They think of it as an access point and, right, as a traditional access point. And, but, but then you have the end device team that, uh, you know, sees it a little bit differently in terms of taking the data. And that, that's kind of, to me, where, where it brings all the of an organization's um, assets together is when it starts to meet at the gateway and and that that's where it ties all together. Um, I guess just uh, while we're talking about gateways and sensors and all of that, just to get some definition around things, I've heard you guys use edge device. I've heard you guys use sensor. Can you just kind of give a maybe a brief description for maybe somebody who's not familiar with it, uh, what those devices are? Yeah. So there's a lot of pieces that go into it, right? So uh, from a very high level, again, we're talking about connecting things to the internet. So first up is, it's usually not things, it's it's what the things do. So you need a, a sensor which is detecting something about what you're trying to measure. So maybe it's a temperature, maybe it's vibration, maybe it's current, could be really a whole host of things. and. You could pick a combination of sensors and find a million applications to do that. But once you've defined that, and that, by the way, is usually something that a company is familiar with. So if you manufacture pumps or you manufacture um, or, or you own a factory and you have drives, I mean, you know sort of where the problems are that you're trying to measure. So you, you figure that out. And then the challenge comes, well, how do you get that data to the Internet? But Matt mentioned earlier, you have, in many cases, legacy protocols or equipment, these sensors that are out there. Sometimes you're talking about a little 10 cent sensor component that you're supposed to design into a whole product. That's got its own set of challenges. Sometimes in the industrial space, you're talking about a $2,000 flow meter that you know goes in an oil and gas application that's indestructible. That could also be considered a sensor. Uh, and so those things have varying levels of smarts in them. Sometimes they have none, in which case you got to add some. Sometimes they do have smarts, but they're using some legacy industrial protocol that's meant to uh, monitor its performance in real time for some application. But either way, you got to start to get that and mold it into something that the cloud or these tools and all these capabilities that exist in the cloud and machine learning databases, analytics reporting, you know, they don't really understand stuff at that level. So then you have maybe one box, maybe a series of things in between that sensor and in between the cloud, which is what we might consider a gateway, uh, call it an edge device, you can call it you know, fog compute. There's a lot of different names. And again, they kind of, the flavor can change based on the context and different companies call it different things to sort of drive their own conversation on those points. But at the end of the day, it's it's something, it's a box, it's a piece of hardware. It you know, it could be a microcontroller inside of a product, but something with enough intelligence to understand, hey, I'm, I'm hearing things from these sensors on one side, and I have to report this out to somebody else who can't speak that language. So I need to kind of fix that up and, and make that look like what it's supposed to look like. So that would be the gateway or the edge device. I, I would frankly say those two words are pretty interchangeable. Again, the context can sometimes vary a little bit, but you're pretty much talking about the same thing. Um, so you're talking about sending, you know, data up up to the cloud. 
what what secures that? How do I know that uh, my data that's going to get up there is going to get there securely? Yeah, I mean, you have to do an assessment, right, from end to end and, and really understand, one, what is the use case that this is going into? How, mm-hmm. how you know, security is a given, right? You have to have it. Well, what level do you need to have it at? And then, and then breaking down each area that is going to be, one, gathering data, interpreting data, sending data, and then on the backside, how are you protecting that data when it gets to the Internet, right? It's a it's 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 like when we talk about getting to that whiteboard session of of uh, of an overall IIoT architecture, right? Where you're looking at, you know, the data itself. What what is the use case? What's the ROI associated with it? Then how do you implement that with hardware, software? And then you got to bake in security throughout the whole way. So it's 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 really getting in, and and, and I think and you said it or Paul did. We could have three or four different podcasts on, you know, sensor-based security, gateway security, cloud yeah. security, and everything in between, right? But I think the key is, at least from from my view, is that each of both silicon and software and the cloud, they each have different security options, protocols, and things that you can implement depending on the level of security that you need. So one of the other things that we talked about or that you guys had mentioned earlier was Azure and AWS and and Google and all those others. What is the differences between them and why would I pick one over the other? It's an interesting question. If we're totally honest, a lot of times it's, you know, the CIO cut a deal with one of those guys and they've decided that's what they're using, right? So we see a lot of the time big companies have already started with that in mind. They know they need to use AWS. They know they need to use Azure. And and the reason for that goes back to Jennifer, what you talked about early on is that, you know, the cloud started as an IT focused cell and an IT focused technology. And it was about reducing IT costs for organizations, right? So they, they used to store a bunch of data and they would have to buy computers and servers to do that. Here comes AWS, here comes Microsoft and Google to say, hey, don't worry about buying all that stuff and hiring people to manage it. And what do you do if it goes down? Just pay us money and we'll do that for you. And it all just kind of happens. And so for most large organizations, there's already a relationship with a cloud vendor because their IT group already is doing a lot with AWS, right? So, you know, even inside of our organization, we we look at in our products, how do we include Azure, AWS, that kind of stuff. And I've been surprised to see how much we do internally with things like AWS, purely from an IT perspective that coming at it from a product perspective, we I didn't really know about. So it kind of starts there a lot of times. It's It's who are they already using? You know, who do they have the relationships with? Who do they have maybe uh, external vendors that they work with to help them develop on those platforms? And that can be a starting point. If you get down to IoT specifically, though, there are some pretty big differences in the strategies and, and the type of customers and stuff you see. AWS, I would say, captures a lot of the the maker and the startup and kind of the really nimble, highly experienced companies that are out there that know how to take these building blocks and stitch them together into something that works. Azure has always had, I would say, more of an enterprise focus through its relationships on Office and, you know, all that kind of stuff that's that's kind of been there. And so they've actually done more investment, I would say, in 
making IoT easier for organizations that maybe haven't really added a lot of their capability internally, but still very complicated. And you get down to it at the like building block level, there's sometimes very little difference between the offer that AWS might have versus Azure, for example, other than the name. It's the same kind of concepts, but with their own spin on it. Is it kind of safe to say that, I mean, the cloud vendors all offer fairly similar or even par just in a different maybe um, delivery style? So at a high level, AWS and Azure, definitely. Uh, Ian, I'd be curious in your perspective. I mean, from a developer experience, I'm not sure that's always true. I don't know any, you've played with both, Ian. What's your take at a developer level? Yeah, so it's it's a tricky question. So at a super high level, if you're just looking for something like compute resources, yeah, they, they all have that. If you're looking to run a Kubernetes cluster, yeah, they all have that too. Really what the each individual needs to do is look at their application and then look at the services from all the different providers and see what has the best alignment. You know, what has what platform offers the best services for my particular application needs because when you actually get down into the details there can be significant differences and there can be differences in features, prices, availability, regions, you know, there's a number of different things you have to pay attention to. So, yes, if you have a very simple you just need a service somewhere you could go to any of the platforms and you'd probably be just fine but if you talk about a full-fledged application and start really thinking about your user experience and all the features that you need they each have their own philosophy they each have their own service offering and they can be some drastic differences yeah, I was going to I was going to mention to that to that end also. It'd be interesting to get your guys' comment on kind of what I perceive with these with all of these these players that you know we talk IIoT right, and we talk about maybe leveraging a layered BT five ten sensor or our IG sixty gateway. You know, it, it's pretty clear, I think, at least from my view, that these guys, you know, as you had mentioned, Paul, I think the history of them coming from the kind of the IT realm or, or Jennifer, you did. And it's interesting to see how they want to participate. And some are doing better than others in, in IIoT or IoT space, but they all come come at it from almost like an x86 world. Interesting to get your guys' perception of that or, or some of the things that you guys have encountered, especially specifically at gateways, right? In terms of some of the services that are offered out there that are, you know, mainly focused at x86, but when you're getting down into gateways and sensors, you know, and low data rate sensors that we see, it's uh, it's, it's interesting to see how that's, that's developing or evolving in the world. Yeah, that ties in a little bit with the difference between gateway and edge, right? So gateways have been around as an idea for decades. And a lot of times it was for the stuff Ian was talking about, which is the industrial application. It's this box that gathers data and and processes it. So that's been around a long time. Edge came up more recently, and it's almost always in the context of being cloud first or cloud native. You know, Edge is supposed to mean it's the edge of the cloud, right? It's that there's this idea that there's real devices that live known locations that are connected to the cloud, but still kind of behave and act like they're cloud services. And so, yeah, to your point, Matt, a lot of the the edge services, if you go look at AWS and Azure, those are A, very new, and so B, they're also 
much more varied in terms of the capabilities that they offer. And see, they are, to your point, always focused on this idea that you have just a ton of compute and a ton of memory. And basically, they don't account for the fact that in the real world, in a lot of these industrial applications, you can't just have giant computers everywhere. It's too expensive or it's just overkill or whatever. And so we're seeing this clash at that level, at the gateway or at the edge device where someone has to kind of bite the bullet here and, and figure out how does this whole system actually work given all these different pieces that, that are supposed to work together but don't quite fit as nicely as you'd want. So you mentioned the, you say with the edge devices and, and their cloud integration. Are you seeing any of the cloud services kind of outpacing the others as far as integrating and starting to work with edge devices? Easier to implement, you know, Bluetooth radios or whatever. I mean, I can give my opinion, but Ian, you've played around with this too. I wouldn't say anyone is dramatically in the lead. Everyone's kind of taking it from their own approach. So AWS and Azure are both pretty new at that kind of thing. Um, they both have services. So there's AWS IoT Greengrass. There's Azure IoT Edge. They're trying to do similar stuff, but they're using different approaches, different technologies. They're all trying to figure out how to deal with these protocols, that you know, legacy protocols, things like that. It's honestly a place where a lot of other companies are, are starting to try to dive in. And you have a lot of these IoT platforms and uh, edge orchestration platforms for IoT. And there's a bunch of companies who have picked up on the fact that people need to do that and need to know how to do that. I and mean, they're trying to jump in, but they face some challenges because companies look at these startups and look at these new technology offers that are technically very good and, and help solve a lot of the problems. And they just wonder, you know, doesn't AWS already do this? And it, it's just a tough sell uh, a lot of the times. So do you think this is more of like a, a VHS versus beta or, you know, where, where one's going to beat out the other? Or is it more like Apple versus PC where they're both just going to live? One camp's going to go one way and one camp's going to go the other way. I think between AWS and Microsoft, it's going to be a Mac PC world forever. Those guys just make so much money and can just play this game for the very long haul. I think to Jennifer's concern earlier, some of these IoT platforms and startups, there's a very real concern from customers that it will be more like a Betamax and you don't want to put all your eggs into that basket and it's going to vanish in a few years. But it leaves it leaves people in a tricky spot because they're just trying to get a system that works and delivered on time and do you go with the, the tried and true but it's going to cost you more money and there's a lot more uncertainty or do you go with somebody who can help you get there quick but you don't know if they're going to be around a long time. It's It's a tough choice. Just a question, but with implementations like WirePoss, I'm having a lot of customers right now who are coming up with this WirePoss uh, implementation for the Bluetooth that runs on the Nordic chipsets. Is that something similar to kind of these, you know, trying to find a consolidated language for these devices, these edge devices to speak in order to get that data into the cloud? Yeah, I mean... The WirePass thing, it's almost an analogy between something like a Bluetooth mesh and a WirePass, right? It's like, if you're yeah, designing a Bluetooth system, a sensor network, you, you probably want to go with Bluetooth because you've heard of it. It's a standard. It's in your phone. There's a lot of good reasons to do that. It's inexpensive. They have a mesh protocol. It, it should be able to do all these things you want it to do. But then when you start digging down into it, it you find a lot of 
tricks and gaps and, and difficult things. If you go with somebody like a Wirepost, well, it solves a lot of that for you, but now it's a proprietary system. And, you know, do you want to kind of link yourself to that? And now you, you can only use Wirepost for everything else from now on in the future. So I think there's a lot of analogies in that regard. I think both it's difficult, no cloud vendor, uh, AWS or Azure, they, they've probably barely understood Bluetooth, let alone something like Wirepost. And, and so they do kind of leave that to others to help them sort out, right? And that's certainly a place where we get involved a lot is people have gone down a path. They've designed Bluetooth into a product. They're trying to figure out how to scale that. How do, you know, how do we make this work for our system? We got Bluetooth on one end. We have AWS on the other end. How do we connect those dots? And it's not easy, but, but you can do it and you can do it well. And that's really where we try to help customers. I guess that's a good lead in. So what can, you know, what can Laird do to help customers who come to us and say, I got Bluetooth on this side. I got AWS or Azure on this side. Help, please. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a whole host, right, of options that we, we'd be able to offer, obviously, with our with our sensor and and gateway product portfolio, I think it's kind of a no-brainer. But, you know, that's where you, you've got to go in and, and really start to work with the customer to, to understand what their use case is to, to fit the tech, correct technology. And then, and then obviously, you know, you, what, what we like to drive to here on the, the IoT solutions side of the business is really uh, drive into that, we, we call it a whiteboard, uh, you know, architecture design, but it's really, it's really a nice long session that you have with the customer to understand, you know, obviously filling in the gaps between going from Bluetooth to, you know, AWS, there's a lot in between, right? And let's identify each of those areas from a use case. What are you doing at the sensor? How are you sending that? Did the sensor need to be wired or battery? Can it be wired or battery? You know, going through the whole use case and an architecture diagram to one, understand, hey, do all these puzzle pieces fit and does this make sense? But then two, does it meet the cost targets? And three, what are the gaps that the customer has to be able to get there with the time frame that they need to launch? So if they need to be able to get into production in six to nine months, right, that's much different than, you know, 12 to 24 months. And and identifying what those gaps are is really where Laird can help fill in those gaps. So we have, you know, not just the product portfolio with the Bluetooth sensors and LoRa sensors, LoRa gateways and Bluetooth gateways that go back to cellular and Ethernet and Wi-Fi. And, you know, we have all those capabilities from a hardware perspective, but overlaying that uh, gap identification with the customer, we can really start to dive in and say, hey, you don't have embedded, you know, C firmware capabilities to to work with uh, Zephyr RTOS, for example. We have engineers who can help do that. We can identify what we need to be able to go do. We can help you get to market quickly, charging NRE, hand you over the code when we're done, right? We can customize if there's some form of customization that's needed to be able to fit the application, be it for cost or aesthetics or, you know, something fundamental from a technology perspective that we need to do. We have the full engineering capabilities to be able to do that. And then lastly, most importantly, I think where we see a ton is when you get into the architecture of where the gateway meets the cloud, right? And you've got to be able to, you're grabbing sensor data coming into a gateway. You've got to be able to configure and send not just the data up into the customer's um, AWS account, for example, or Azure account, but you have to be able to do it in the way that they want to. So so being able to develop a set of APIs and a, and a way to be able to aggregate and get the, the data piped into a customer's account is something that we absolutely can help out with. And then as part of that, we also have 
the mobile app capability because that's a huge piece when you're talking about maybe say a Bluetooth implementation where you you have to provision and configure devices. Well, if you're per, if you're going to go through that and just about every device is going to have to go through that, you're going to really touch on the sensor the gateway and the cloud and the application, they're all going to touch, you know, device management, shall we say. And so really going through that architecture is really where Laird shines, quite frankly. And we've helped customers from an a la carte perspective. Where are those gaps? You don't have a capability to do mobile apps and do the device management and the configuration. Great. We have a team that can be able to go do that for a service for you. So we really want to enable our customers with the services we have, get them to market very quickly. Yeah, and I'd say we're a technology company that has experience in all the the facets of making an IoT system from the antennas all the way to the cloud software. Um, But one key differentiator is we have the services, and then the second is we're not going to push you onto our platform. We're not looking to say, okay, great, we understand your application needs. Have you checked out our cloud platform solution that will somehow make work? We're agnostic in terms of we want to make this work on Azure, AWS. Google Cloud Platform, any of the cloud platforms, even customers' cloud platforms, we will say, great, we love this. We want to help you with connecting all the all the things you want to connect and, and making this into a great product. And so I think that makes us stand out from some of the other uh, technology firms there out there. You know, we, we talk about Azure and Google Cloud and, and AWS. I could set up my own, you know, a private cloud, almost a... Uh, I, I guess I don't know. Is, is that is that a possibility? How does that work, and how is that different than using one that I've you know purchased from somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's kind of early days for that, Bob. But I think the way the market built up. So again, people already had servers, right? Everybody did all this in house. Then, ten years ago, everyone said, "Great, let's move all this to the cloud." And now we have no servers, we have no local people, we can do a bunch of cool stuff. And then in the last three, four or five years, everyone all of a sudden is like, oh, wait a second, I'm really nervous about security. I'm worried about my data being getting out into the world to competitors. I'm worried about all these different things, performance, whatever else. We need to start doing more in-house again, but we don't want to lose all the cool stuff that we were doing in the cloud. So you're starting to see some new products that that help do that it, i would say it's very early days like i remember at uh, aws has their big show every year and at reinvent and i think it was last year's one they rolled out a product that was basically uh you know ready to go off the shelf mini aws experience i think they call it outposts and so they show up at your facility with a truck and they roll out this this server rack that's all pre-configured and ready to go and you just plug it in and now you have a mini little aws running in your facility so i think it's some of it's getting there i think at the it's kind of a, a race between how many people care to actually do this stuff locally versus how many people are just being a little bit behind the times with respect to concerns around keeping this on-prem? Like, is there really a need to do this stuff in and have your own private cloud? Or can you just actually do this in the public cloud? So it's a little right. bit of a race between do you build the new tools to help these people who don't want to migrate to the cloud fully? Or do you just wait them out a little bit and eventually they'll see the light? <laughs> right. I mean, it's kind of like some of the stuff, right? Like some of these cloud guys, are, I mean, you know, one of the prime examples, I think, Paul, of, of where stuff is 
we'll call it on-prem kind of scenario still, right, would probably be somewhat in the medical world, right, where you've got patient-centric data and medical-centric data that, but I mean, you see both cloud, you know, Azure and, and AWS are coming out with massive amounts of cloud and they're kind of breaking down those barriers to, barriers to concerns like HIPAA and, and all of the other. So it, it, it is going to be interesting to see how that all plays out where you think you had things that you'd say, hey, I want to keep the, the, the data needs to be a little closer to the vest, shall we say, so you keep it on your own servers. But I think uh, obviously the, the big players are trying to make it easier and more secure to be able to push that data up into the cloud. Can you tell us a little bit about um, some of the industrial IoT applications that you've seen um, to date and kind of how they're being solved? Yeah, without um, breaking, without disclosing too much information, there's a number of great industrial type applications that we are uh, helping enable our customers on. A lot of early adopters are looking to do asset tracking for high value items. So we're working, building Bluetooth sensors as well as gateways to, to help with this asset tracking. And it's a real interesting system in the sense that these are going to work completely autonomously. It's, it's something that should be easy to set up, work for decades on their own, be able to do all the firmware updates over the air, and just really a zero touch config is what the, the tricky parts of uh, the application that we're enabling for this customer. So it's, uh, it's also interesting in the sense that we're working with a sensor product that we helped develop, our off the shelf gateway products, and then we're using some of these bigger cloud platform features to build a whole system. So a lot of challenges, and it's it's uh, it's been quite interesting. Yeah, I mean another big class. So asset tracking for sure, right? Where's where's my stuff? Is it still live? How's it performing? Another big class of applications is around predictive maintenance. You know, so again, that's that could be really intense industrial applications where if if you're in a mine and your conveyor goes down and you know, you got a bunch of gold on that conveyor. It's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty expensive that it's down. Sometimes it, it's those. Those are some of the initial ones that went out Is in terms of IoT applications. It could be mines, could be oil and gas. It could be, you know, even stuff like elevators where you have these really critical systems. Those were the low-hanging fruit for connecting and turning into IoT platforms. But the less expensive this stuff gets, I mean, the more we're seeing applications that, you wouldn't always class in, in kind of the mission critical bucket. So you think about bathrooms and football stadiums and stuff. Like if you have a game, granted, may not maybe a while before we get there, but if you have a football game going in a bathroom in your stadium is out of commission, that really makes a poor experience for people attending that. And so everything inside of that bathroom could be a candidate for something you want to try to track and make sure is running and running properly. Same thing in hotels. It could be that you are just want to make sure that the stuff in the rooms that people are using is working properly. You want them to have a perfect experience, but you don't want to be necessarily invading their privacy with a camera or something. You can equip these types of more commercial grade devices to be able to send data up to the cloud. So it is, there's absolutely this relationship between the cost of devices and the new applications you get into. But yeah, for sure, it's it's a lot of asset tracking, it's a lot of predictive, preventative maintenance, and then wrapping the, the services and new things around that once they're connected. 
Yeah, and lastly, I think all of all of the use cases that you guys describe as well also come back a lot of times to replacing what we call a man a manual checklist and moving it to a digital checklist, right? And and what I mean by that is take for example the stadium or the hotel. Maybe there's a restroom in the hotel, or there's restrooms obviously in in the stadiums, right? Instead of the janitor walking around every hour, right, to check on those, they're actually given a portal and a data and a mobile app to be able to look at. Hey, how how is the uh, the paper towel dispensers uh, functioning in the in the uh, in the restroom and how how is the water? There's no clogs anywhere with the sinks or the bathrooms and and things of that nature, so that they can actually be you know more proactive than reactive when they have to be able to do these checks. Same thing, um, you know, as you start to look into restaurants as well as people start to get into food safety related items, people would take check temperatures of of different foods and things that were being prepared uh, and put it onto a clipboard. Right. And so they're replacing all that with digital checklists. And to that end, you know, grabbing sensor data based on temperature or based on, you know, so how something's performing a machine, setting that up to the cloud so that that end users can be more proactive in terms of uh, being able to address things versus uh, being reactive. Thus, they have more time to to focus in different areas. So then to, to go along with that, you know, my my tenure here at Laird um, been been here for a while and I've seen I've seen us be in some really unique devices um, some stuff I can't talk about uh, you know because of NDA and, and other things I can't talk about because I want to keep this family friendly uh, have you seen your you know I, I IOT products in in some unique situations and do you have any you can talk about ones i guess we're seeing are, are you know maybe wanting to track temperatures in in mobile applications right mm-hmm. so the leveraging the bt510 to to be able to talk to maybe a telematics gateway and and as part of that what they're looking to really do is is in a lot of delivery trucks right where maybe there's not uh temperature monitoring that's in the back of these refrigerated trucks but yet these delivery personnel go out on a daily basis for an eight-hour shift. They're delivering prepared foods to a customer end site. And as part of that, these are put into different, you know, containers, plastic containers or, or metalized containers that are, you know, not necessarily, uh, they're not warmers and they're not, you know, there's no electricity to them, but they're just put into storage and then they're delivered. Uh, and, and being able to maintain and understand what those temperatures are while that driver's out on that six to eight hour shift, delivery shift, you know, provides a lot of value to the end user just to validate that uh, the the food that they have prepared or that they are preparing, putting putting it in for a journey that uh, they're within uh, food safety specs. Yeah, I think Bob, part of it is you look at IoT and in its hype cycle, and in the beginning, connecting crazy stuff was just cool. People would buy it because you're connecting crazy stuff, and everyone's kind of gotten tired of that, right? And so now I think more often than not it's actually that we're seeing these somewhat boring applications things that that aren't exciting but they bring the most value to connect and automate and bring some insight into you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely i mean these these applications that that we're you're starting to see now which are i think we're kind of you know if a couple years ago was maybe the first first inning of iot i think we're in the you know second and third inning shall we say and i think you're seeing like paul said they may not be the coolest like amazing um you know wow and how did i do not think of you know the killer app per se but they have real roi attached to them right they're either going to save you money or they're going to make you money 
right? Um, and, and they're really putting putting that homework in to be able to say, yeah, that's an order of two order of magnitude savings if I can have that janitor not have to walk around and do the the every hour check on a bathroom and put their initials onto a checklist that says I was here, right? But rather they can monitor all of the bathrooms in the stadium, and you can have maybe even less janitors, or you have different janitors deployed for different reasons, mm-hmm. right? And I think I heard somewhere that you could also. Um, control how big of a paper towel you wanted to put out or, you know, how much soap you wanted to dispense depending on uh, time of day or, you know, yeah. like like you have a football game going on, you, you want to give out a, a bigger or a smaller paper towel compared to just on the average when the stadium is kind of empty. Or if a sink's running at 3 in the morning at O'Hare and it's been running for 10 minutes, Someone left the sink on, right? right? Yeah. You know, running. So that that type of, you know, that that's that's pretty clear in terms of, you know, you do do that times, you know, the whole airport, and and think of those as five of those being on for twenty minutes. That's a lot of water going down the drain. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Although, Bob, on the, the paper towels, there's unexpected consequence. I don't know about you, man, but that one little tiny paper towel is not enough for me. And so I end up taking like three of them. Yeah, I know. Right. I have to stand there and wait for it because there's a, you know, 10 second recovery cycle before it'll give you another one. But yeah, you stand there all day waiting for paper towels. Well, and, and other, another piece of it, too, is a lot of the some of the, the manufacturers, you know, they'll, they'll do contracts with people for multiple years. And, you know, that, you know, which I believe dispensers and paper towels go together. And sometimes people will find paper that's uh, maybe less expensive and, and not holding up to their end of the contract. And so you could actually detect whether or not you're running the correct paper through the, the uh, dispenser as well. So wow, a lot, lot of different positive things that you can you can grasp just other than you know how much paper you're sending out oh that's pretty cool thanks everyone for joining us today uh, for what i thought was an entertaining and very useful um podcast uh if you have any questions or want to you know in more information on uh, on layered or Laird's IoT solutions, uh, go to lairdconnect.com slash services slash IoT dash solutions. And there's a talk to an expert button. More than likely, you'll get one of these three guys to answer your back. Uh, if you have any other questions or, or, you know, any other topics that you would suggest for a podcast, email us at podcast at lairdconnect.com. Thanks, everyone. 